Hey guys, it's good to be in Virginia. Can you hear me? Is this good? Do what? Good to have you. Who said that? Thank you. Thanks, bro. Um, yeah, it's so it's so awesome to be here. I uh, we have this massive, huge family explosion party happening at my church in Pennsylvania right now, and we have it's like a full-on assault on the Northeast with uh, gosh. Heidi Baker, Georgie Banoff, uh, Todd White, Jeremy Riddle, Danny Silk, like all these guys just like taking over Pennsylvania. So had to leave them uh, this morning and they're like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to Virginia. So uh, so anyway, I, I'm just really honored, honestly honored to be here. There wouldn't there's there's not another place I'd want to be on, on Friday night um, than, than on a campus of a major university here in, in the state that I love. And to give you a little little bit of background, I actually um, cut my teeth in worship and, and the prophetic and missions and everything actually in Virginia. And I grew up uh, uh, from about 12 years on um, in Virginia Beach. And I actually grew up in Montana and my my parents moved us all the way from mountain glory land to hot, humid East Coast land uh, when I was 12 and but it was in the it was in our community there and I, I grew up in Virginia Beach about maybe nine miles from where the first cross was planted on the shores of North America um, which was in Cape Henry and which was planted um, by guys that were saying we're here because we want to freely worship Jesus you know and and it's so cool you know how we're living on the heels of cumulative Cumulated generations that have been praying, you know, and that it's easy to think, you know, and sometimes in, in especially my generation, which is in, insanely self-entitled and, uh, you know, uh, you know, doesn't we haven't been through world wars. You know, we, we haven't gone through hardship. It's very easy to carry that mentality into this season spiritually. But, you know, I come humbly realizing, man, we are reaping where we haven't sown. And, and, and every time I come to Virginia, I just feel that, that place of heritage and history, you know, where I just want to honor the dreams of God and those that risk their lives traveling over the treacherous ocean, you know, where something like, I was reading the other day, something like 30 or 40% of them died on the way over here. I mean, it's like bringing their whole families with the sole purpose to have a place where they can freely worship. You know, and to think about that, you know, and, and obviously there's issues in there, too, and they didn't deal with, you know, the Native Americans in the right way. And there's all kind of stuff in there. But the, the dream and the heart of God that was inside of these guys, you know, it's, it's coming to fruition and fulfillment. And so even as I stand here uh, and, and my, my family actually newly expanded family, we uh, we had a big transition from. Uh, I say this from man-to-man defense to zone defense, from uh, because we're now we're, we're now outnumbered. And uh, uh, last time that we came through here, my wife was pregnant, and and uh, and now our Ezra Justice is two months old. And uh, even even his name, I, I feel like in our in this season is real significant for every. Every child that, that we that we've had is we've had a like a real prophetic word of the Lord for this season over them and you know we, at the beginning I think we spent time looking through all, like a million gazillion baby book names in Barnes and Noble and I'm just like no I don't like any of them anyways and I'm like 
let's not think of a cool name. Let's just get a prophetic word of the Lord. And so, anyway, this last word, you know, for my son Ezra, which, by the way, part of it was like, God, give us easy Ezra, you know, for the third, you know. We travel, you know, we travel hundreds of thousand miles around the, the world every year, you know, visit 20 to 30 nations, mostly as a family. So we're like, God, just one easy kid, you know, easy Ezra. And, uh, and praise God, our prayer's been answered. But um, they're in Fredericksburg actually tonight because we're, I'm going to be up there uh, in the morning. But, you know, when even his name, you know, I've just been just kind of caught in this moment as a new parent, you know, in the first few weeks of your baby's life. Um, and especially as a dad where there's like, there's just not much like a dad really can do besides kind of hold the baby. I'm more like helping my wife and like holding her while she holds the baby, you know, but I find myself sometimes at night just looking at this, this child and just thinking, man, you know, like what are, what are the dreams, you know, of God over him? You know, what is he going to become? What's his personality going to be like? What's his favorite cereal going to be? You know, is he going to like, you know, is he going to like Buzz Lightyear or Woody? You know, these are big decisions, you know, um, but, you know, his name, Ezra, which, which, which means God's helper, God's helper of justice. Um, and, and if you know the story about Ezra, uh, which, you know, Ezra and Nehemiah are two books that kind of coincide with each other. But he was one of the seven examples in the Old Testament of the restoration of the tabernacle of David. Which basically, just to give you a little, you know, brief little synopsis, you know, when David first assumed the throne as king, you know, his one desire was to see day and night worship established, literally. So uh, in the city of David for 33 years, unbroken, you can read all in first through first and second Chronicles. It's all in there. They established a physical place where worship never stopped for 33 years, representing really the fullness of Jesus Christ, you know, 33 years. And there's so many symbolic things in there, but day and night, it never stopped. And and because of it, his, his kingdom was more successful and more powerful, and they grew in wealth and fame and stature. And I mean, that's what happens when you have the presence of God in your midst, right? You get everything. And, and uh, David was actually, was actually in a, you know, he was in a pre-New Testament day where they didn't necessarily have access like we have access. So he kind of broke all the rules by doing it, you know. And uh, that's one of the things that we love to do, you know, when we go around the world and the places where it's illegal. You know, I was in North Korea a couple of years ago, and we have teams right now, actually, that are, um, that are in Iraq. I'll get to that story in a minute. But, you know, when David established this thing in the history of Israel, you know, uh, through the Old Testament, seven guys looked at that model and they said, man, that looks really good. And it happened in the times where the nation was in great crisis. For Ezra, for example, um, they were in Babylonian captivity, and Ezra was the guy that led them out of Babylonian captivity into Zion. And worship was the method of, of which he brought them out of captivity back to Zion. And so we just feel like this is a whole season where even the name of our little baby, which, by the way, the diaper fund is open if you want to sow into it. Um, but even the name of our baby, you know, I feel like is a prophetic picture of what the Lord's doing around the earth. And so I'm, I am, you know, just beyond thrilled to be in Virginia and to be, you know, even a small part of what the Lord's doing across the state. And we have, um, you know, friends here from, from other cities. We have 
Oh, amazing worship leader back here, Kaylee from uh, Charlottesville. And uh, she leads uh, an amazing worship movement in the church. Stand up and just say hi. And in Charlottesville, and they're uh, really close to the campus of, of UVA, and, and they're just going for it after God, gathering hundreds of young people that are just hungry. And there really is a stirring. And, you know, even as I speak this, I, we were on the, I was on the drive down here, and I just kept getting this word in my heart. Um, you know, it's like, oh, it's like I, I probably intercede more on 495 than any other highway because it's so hellish, you know. It's like, God, if you love me, clear the traffic, you know. You know, like make the fleece wet, make it dry. No, no, just make the roads empty, like mysteriously, you know. I don't care how you have to do it. Remove the cars, throw them off to the side, whatever you have to do, you know. And Because and, uh, we have been stuck so many times, you know. I mean, and there's no timing. There's no such thing as timing. You know, it's like, well, just don't go between, you know, you know, 7 a.m. And, and 9 and don't go. No, no. On 495, there's no such thing. 2 a.m., you hit traffic, you know. You know, 10, 10 in the morning, you hit traffic. And anyway, I was praying down here, and the Lord gave me this word. I just kept hearing the number 65. And Psalm 65. I just want you to turn there real quick. And uh, so I was just, you know, praying this word in my heart, which is a very familiar passage um, that I, I pray a lot, um, but just I haven't, you know, kind of visited it in a while. But I kept hearing this over Richmond, and I was just thinking, Psalm 65, like, okay, this is a great verse, but Lord, what, what, what about Richmond? And so I just stopped for fun, you know. Sometimes it could be prophetic, sometimes it could be retarded. But I just put in Google, Richmond 65. And I just said, is there any correlation, connection between Richmond and, and 65? And I found that one of the number one restaurants in the city is called Table 65. Anybody ever been there? Oh. <laughs> Maybe it's not one of them. I don't know. It has all these high rankings, and it, they serve all this amazing food. And uh, maybe you should go there, you know. But I was, and I saw, I saw this restaurant, Table 65, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, this is the table that I'm spreading out before Richmond in this season. You know, this is table 65. This is, you know, the word of the Lord over this city. So I just, I just want to read this and kind of just declare this, even before I share tonight, over this city, that this would be a season where this reality of Psalm 65 is manifested. Anybody with me? So get it out. Go follow along with me. It says, uh, verse 1, let's start from verse 1. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. just love that. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house. Say good things. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness. Say awesome deeds. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas who form the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas and the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of nations. Those living far away fear your wonders where morning dawns and evening fades. You call forth songs of joy. <laughs> Anything that depicts a joyful worship movement, that's what I like. 
the morning woeful, let's just slug it out through the prayer sets. Let's hope we can make it. Let's bash our head against the wall. That's not the season. That's not the season of, you know, the odd, you know, your grandma's little prayer session in the back with a couple random people blowing shofars. I mean, this is a dynamic worship and prayer movement that is joy filled and it's taking over the earth. Amen. But those living far away, fear your wonders. Where morning dawns and evening fades, you call for songs of joy. So perpetual songs of joy are filling the night and they're filling the day. Probably a lot of espresso too. I'm going to just throw that in there. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. For you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and you level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. So let's just pray this, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are stretching out Table 65 across Richmond, Virginia. Lord, we're not, we're not unaware, God, of the issues, God, and the crime and, the, and all this stuff, God, that plagues this city, Lord, and the debauchery on the campus and the immorality and the political stuff and all the, all the things, Lord. We're, we, we understand that, but, Lord, we prophesy tonight that you're stretching out the table of Psalm 65 over this land. God, we thank you that you're what you're bringing people into the place of your presence, God, that you're bringing people, you're choosing to bring them near your courts and they're going to be filled with good things. Lord, we thank you that you're answering our prayers with awesome deeds of righteousness. We thank you, God, that even in this house and in this place and in the churches represented here, Lord, we thank you, God, that you are raising up a chorus of joyful songs that goes through the night and through the day. Lord, we thank you that this chorus of songs of joy, God, is going to release abundance like this city's never seen. We thank you for the harvest, God, of souls. We thank you for economic prosperity. God, we thank you for the, evi- the, the, the evident blessing of God that's going to come on Richmond, Virginia, as the result of the people of God fueling day and night worship. We just bless this city, Lord. We, come on, let's just bless this city. We just bless this city, Lord. From the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. We, we bless Richmond, Lord. We bless your plans and your purposes over this city. Plans to prosper it. Plans to increase it. Plans to bless it. Lord, we thank you for the bright future and the hope over this land. In Jesus' name. Amen. Table 65. Don't forget that. I just feel like that's a word. That's a word, you know, and, and part of the... Part of the thing I think the Lord's doing, even in the prayer and worship movement, is He's helping us understand that the words of our mouth have, like, divine power. And many times we as Christians can be coaxed into actually invoking spirits of witchcraft because we curse our own city. You know? And, and I've done it before. You get frustrated. You're stuck in traffic. You know, you know, got different things. I got a parking ticket the other day, and I was standing in front of the Capitol 
Pennsylvania. I go, ah, you know, like, why? I was only here for three minutes. I just ran in to get a latte, you know. Got a parking ticket, and the Lord's like, bless the city. All right, Lord, let this revenue of my ticket bring blessing to the, you know, that's when you know you're really going for it. But but I, I really believe that, that you know, it, I can impart to you guys tonight, like, and, I, and it's, it's my goal, really, to convince you that there's no greater adventure on the earth right now than what the Lord's doing through prayer and worship. And I thoroughly believe that, and I thoroughly have seen that with my own eyes. But more than anything, I really believe that the love, you know, the more love and the more faith that you have stirred up through your city, the more hope that's going to be released in your prayers, the more joy. And, you know, the last thing that we want to do, even in the burn movement, is empower insecure intercessors to pray over cities they don't care about. You know, we want faith-filled, fiery lovers of God that are filled with over-expectation and blinded by the optimism of the beauty of Jesus, that they know he can do anything. And even as I'm saying that, to give you a little scope um, of what the Lord's doing and the, the promises that are being fulfilled around the earth, um, even right now as we're here, there's two very, well, there's more than two, but there's two very significant Day and 50 day and night burns that are happening right now. And what's so funny is they're completely opposite. And this just, I, I use this as an example. I mean, I could stand up here all tonight and just sh- share with you testimonies all through the night of what the Lord's doing around the world. But I want to start with what's happening right now in front of the White House in Washington, D.C. You guys familiar with David's tent? Has anybody heard about it? So for the third year in a row, um, We've helped mobilize uh, what we're calling David's Tent, which is a 50-day 50 uh, 50 non-stop worship and prayer gathering that's happening right now in front of the White House on the, on the White House Eclipse in Washington, D.C. This is the third year in a row we've done it. It's never happened in American history. It's been illegal in American history. I actually even use that for specific religious purposes, but... You know, God's bigger, God's greater, and God wants it more than we want it. And so uh, three years ago during the elections, we set up, we just thought, man, this is a great time. People are feisty, it's intense, it's elections, it's a political spirit. Let's build a throne for Jesus because the government of America stands on, is on his shoulders, you know. So we did it, and every year it's just gotten bigger and better. And I think this year we have... Uh, worship leaders from 50 states represented, as well as maybe 50 nations. And uh, so I just encourage you, I think it started September 14th, and it goes for 50 days, so at some point you all need to drive up there, it doesn't matter if it's the middle of the night, middle of the day, it's going all the time, and just, it just behold, you know, just step into this tent, you know, where people rain or shine, cold or hot, they're going to be there strumming in their guitars, releasing, you know, their frail voices, beating on their drums. And it will fill you with hope like, oh, my gosh, this is really happening. You know, worship is taking over. And so this year we got even bigger speakers. We got more bands. And uh, we pointed the speakers right at Obama, and we're just blasting day and night worship. And so nobody can shut us up. And... You know, I, I can't speak for this year. I'm going to go visit on, uh, tomorrow probably. But for the last few years, I've never encountered like a soaking set there yet. And I don't know, maybe on the third year we'll kind of get into soaking. But usually it's been pretty high energy and pretty wild and pretty joyful, you know. 
And if you have any doubt at all um, of what what's happening, you know, in, over America and the spirit, it's a good place to step into, you know. And so, and it's really cool too because you know all these like Japanese tourists come and they're trying to get pictures of like the White House and our tents right in the middle of the frame, you know. And so they're like trying to scooch over, you know. And there's people outside the tent just waving flags and beating on the drums and. It's just like takeover, you know. But at the same time that we have a 50-day night worship, you know, burn happening in front of the White House, we also have one that's happening right now in northern Iraq, in Erbil, in a city that's surrounded by ISIS guys. And uh, guys from Mid- Middle Eastern believers actually actually ignited this. It wasn't even Westerners. There are Westerners there. I know a lot of my friends are there. Actually, quite a bit, quite a lot of people there are from Virginia are there right now, and they're in Erbil, which, as you know, is it's the capital of kind of the northern area there that, that ISIS has tried repeatedly to take that city because if they take that city, it's kind of the major epicenter, the major hub economically. It's where the biggest airport is. It's where the most foreigners are, and they've consistently come and pressed up against that, and um, and it's you know it's been in doubt, but. Every, Literally, ever since this worship and prayer thing started, man, it's like the Lord has has shown up, you know. And it's like, I believe angels are there. I believe the heavens are being opened. And so, just be praying, you know. And I just love this, though, the contrast. It's like from the war zone to the White House. You know, worship is covering the earth. Malachi 1.11 says, from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, it says, let incense will rise. And I just, it's important for us theologically to understand that there's not a square inch of planet Earth that will not be covered with the sound of worship. And sometimes I think, you know, we're so easy to say, oh, well, they can have that part, or, oh, you know, that's a, that's a Buddhist area, that's a Hindu, that's a... No, no, in the Bible it's clear. The Earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In Habakkuk 2, it says, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the Earth. In Amos 9.11, it says, in the last days... You know, the tabernacle of David will rise again, you know, and it says it says that the remnant of men will seek the Lord. It means all of humanity will seek God because there's a revelation of his goodness and his glory covering the earth. And so I stand here before you as as a as a living testimony, you know, being in Pyongyang, North Korea, the most closed nation in the world, the most persecuted people in the world with Koreans worshiping the name of Jesus. The hardest governments can't stop it. The most intense Islamic jihadists can't stop it. It is a sound that will not be stopped. And it's increasing in this season. Amen. So that's the report card of the Lord. Listen to what the Lord's saying and not what CNN is saying. And you'll be all right. I, uh, I want to I focus a little bit tonight intentionally on, on just my heart in this season for college campuses and my heart to see worship and prayer movements ignited on campuses in America. And I want to share about this because, you know, I was just in Tulsa, Oklahoma about two weeks ago, and that's actually where this God tricked us into starting this thing. You know, and I, sh- I share that because we, I was actually in a desert season. I had really no desire to, like, start some cool new ministry with the flame logo. You know, this was before Facebook. I wasn't trying to get as many likes as I could. I mean, it was honestly, 
in our humility and in our brokenness, we just wanted a revelation of who God is. And we just put, you know, we locked our dorm, ourselves in our dorm room on Friday nights. And we just said, we are not leaving until you show up, God. We want a greater encounter, you know. And we had grown up in church. We had seen the Lord do amazing things. We were, you know, I was on the stage in the mall in 2000 and saw, you know, almost half a million people, you know, across the nation gather and worship and pray for 12 hours. But I was just in a season where, I wanted all the religious facades to fade, and I just wanted a fresh encounter with the Lord. And um, I talk about it musically, for those of you musicians, as a season where, you know, I, I shifted from, like, performing or pressing to try to get God to do something, you know, which, which sadly is, is, is the reason why believers in ministry get burned out. Because they're doing something for love or they're doing something for affection instead of doing it from love and doing it from affection. You know, if you're, if you're ministering and if you're going after God in your life from a foundation of acceptance and love, you'll never get burned out. It's impossible. And I've lived this for the last seven years as we've gallivanted the world. But when in this season, the Lord just brought me back into this secret place, you know, and I, I talk about how David... You know, King David had his hillsides, you know, with bears and lions, and it's pretty intense, you know. You think about his life, and he, he, he was really doing the job of a slave. He was a neglected son that his own father forgot about. When, when, when the prophet Samuel came to find the next king, his dad even forgot he existed. Remember, Samuel was like, don't you have any more sons? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot, I have one more. He's out with the bears and lions, and no one even knows if he's alive, you know. He's just kind of a nomad, you know. He's a musician. You know those guys, you know. And, uh, but you know what David was doing was cultivating on that hillside. It's the same thing that he was doing in the cave of Adullam when he was running from Saul. He was cultivating a lifestyle of intimacy. He was cultivating a lifestyle of worship, you know. He was ministering. It was his hillside season. So for me, my, my hillside was actually in the stairwell of my dorm room in the middle of the night. And um, I would sneak away there and I'd get my guitar out and play a few simple chords and just say, God, I don't want to perform, God. I want to abide in you. And the Lord would come and, you know, I, I talk about this transition, how he would begin to pick me up, you know. And instead of trying to make something happen, it's like, it's like I became his instrument. And he sung through me, and he prayed through me, and he moved through me. It was such a, a beautiful season and a real shift for me, you know, a, a shift of getting oil to burn in my lamp. And, and it was in that very season that we decided, decided, you know, we should just go for this on our campus. We should just burn. We, should, we didn't have words, you know. We didn't even have theology. We were just like, yeah, we just want God, you know. And, and anybody wants to come, you know. And they're like, well, what is it called? And we're like, we don't know. We just... We just want more. And they were like, well, it has to have a name. And we're like, well, let's just burn, you know. People are like, what? That's intense. I'm like, yeah, it is, you know. And so at the risk of sounding like an arsonist cult, we, we just called it the burn, you know. And, and, and we, we used the verse, you know, in, 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 in the end of Luke, which it says that they were on the road to Emmaus and they were depressed and they were disillusioned and they, they were unaware of the season they were living in. This is, my, this is really the picture of the Western church, you know. Here we are, we're like 4% of humanity. We're 4% of humanity, which means we're 4% of what God's doing around the earth in America. 
And we use that as our worldview, you know, where the church in China is approaching 300 million right now. Largest church in the history of, of humanity. All of America in China saved, you know. In India, there's 20,000 people a day getting saved. Across the Middle East, hundreds of thousands of Muslims are coming to Jesus. In the Buddhist world, in Nepal, in Bhutan, in North India, Buddhists by the droves are coming into the kingdom. You know, and so, but a lot of times we're like the guys on the road to Emmaus. It's like, oh man, I had this one dream for my city and just, oh man, it just didn't happen. I'm so bummed out. Let's watch ESPN, you know, and it's like, it's like we live this life where we're perpetually bummed, you know, and, and, and these guys, what's so funny, Jesus like had risen from the dead. He was like alive at that time. Like the fulfillment of their dreams was reality and they were unaware of it. So a lot of times I tell people when they pray, you know, we, and I love to hear the prayer and I want more of God. But a lot of times it's not that we need more of him, it's that we need a greater awareness of him. <laughs> you know? Sometimes our prayer needs to be, God, make me aware that you're all over America right now. That you're crashing into campuses, you know. And so, anyway, um, so these guys are there. Jesus comes up, puts his arms around them. What are you guys doing? You know, they still don't get it. But they just go, oh, our hearts are so good. Just go to dinner with us. Just walk with us. Just talk with us. Just be with us, you know. And, and, the, and, and the Lord was leading them out of the place of disillusionment on the lonely road into a place of awareness of who he is. You know? And so we used that verse and we said, yes, now we have theology. Their hearts burned. Our hearts burned. Let's call it burn, you know. And, and so on the college campus, you know, we pulled it from our dorm room because it was, a, you know, we didn't have co-ed dorms. And we wanted to be an equal opportunity lender. We wanted to have so girls could come because they're always the best intercessors, you know. And, so we moved it off campus, and we strategically, this was our best marketing move ever, because I was a business major, and I thought, man, we need to put it a place, in a place where a lot of people are going to be, so we found the best coffee shop in town. Right next door to the best coffee shop was a, an open, uh, like an open storefront that we, that we would rent, and uh, so it was perfect, because the coffee culture and the revival culture grow together, you know, and you have the coffee which is the nectar of God, to, you know, to fuel the worship, you know. And so anyway, it was brilliant, you know. And so, and so, and so we had it next to this coffee shop, and, and we would just gather together there, you know. And, and, and it was agenda-less, and, you know, we didn't, we didn't, even, really, we, we didn't even really have, like, uh, a whole lot of structure or a whole lot of plans. It was just like, man, we just want to go after him as long as we can, as hard as we can. And we would have different worship leaders come, you know, every few hours and we would change out. And, you know, at that time in that city, um, there was a lot, you know, a lot of big mega churches and not a lot of people familiar with worship that lasted more than three fast and three slow. And so part of the biggest freedom that was happening was, was not only in the city. I mean, we saw amazing miracles and testimonies, um, which you always do whenever you host his presence, but... We, w- one of the greatest things we saw was worship leaders and musicians getting set free to not just be song leaders, but to become psalmists. Not just those that lead songs on a screen, but those who, who actually can sing the heart of God. You know? And so anyway, we began to see this amazing thing happen where 
these these guys would come in, you know, they're leading, you know, for 10,000 people on Sunday morning for 23 and a half minutes, you know, and it's scripted. And they would come in there for two hours and they would get through like maybe a song and a half. And like the spirit of prophecy would just come on them, you know, and they would just, ah, you know, start doing things they've never done before, you know, and they would be overtaken by the Holy Spirit. And and uh, and it was amazing, you know, and it it really brought the water level of worship to a whole nother level across the city, which has always been our heart in any city that we see the, the burn planted in. Our desire is to see a complete and total hijacking of worship, you know. And so anyway, from that point, you know, other campuses around the region. And I, I share that story with you because, you know, here we are today and there's well over 150 or more uh, burn furnaces planted around the world and our communities are growing and we have you know, books, and we actually know how to talk about what we're doing. We have theology, and we have online classes, and we have mission trips, and we have, you know, all this stuff is built. But the heart remains. Our longing and our desire is for His presence. It's a first love movement. And I want to just encourage you tonight, if you don't understand, like I can, I can talk the theology, I can give the testimonies, I can set the biblical foundation, I can talk about the Moravians, the Celts, I could talk about the first and second great awakenings, which were nonstop worship and prayer meetings on college campuses. We talk about the history of revival, you know, that was birthed. We could talk about Acts chapter two, which was a day and night worship service, you know. But the, the the reality is, is if you don't understand the worth of Jesus, you'll never get day and night worship. You'll always reduce it down to carnal human nature. How many people in the room? How many butts in the seats? How many people on the stage? And you'll gauge everything according to those standards instead of the standard is he's worthy of it. In Richmond, Virginia, who cares if there's two people in the room? He is worthy of it, and we're going to give it to him. You know, and that is the kind of heart that moves the Lord. As much as we feel like God is moved by numbers, historically he reduces them. (laughs) As much as we feel like he's moved by budgets and he's moved by flash, no, he's looking for the faithful. He's looking for the consistent. He's looking for those that will set their affections on him and not turn back. Put their hand to the plow and not look back to another day. So my heart tonight is to stir up this longing and this desire. And, and I, I want to actually, I want to start um, really sharing a, a couple testimonies uh, from our season. Would you just turn to Isaiah, Isaiah 54? Um, and I, and I want to sh- share just a couple testimonies and, and give some basic foundation, um, even as you guys get set to, to go for it. November 7th, is that right? November 7th. And, and, and I believe, you know, not just one furnace or not just one worship. I believe we need multiple ones all across the city. You know, when I look at, I did a little bit of my homework again on the way down here. And when I look at this campus, for example, and, you know, close to 30,000 students, Representing a hundred nations. Can you believe that? The nations are here. A hundred nations. Within what? You know, a 12 block radius of this building. A hundred nations. Some of the most, some of the most predominant at VCU are, is actually Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, India, and China. Those are the four biggest besides America. Saudi Arabia, India... China, Kuwait. Okay, two, uh, 
three of those nations are closed to the gospel. But yet they're sending their brightest here in your environment, in your city, in the place where you actually have authority to call down heaven and the kingdom of God to the earth. Amen. And, um, you know, when the Lord, when we moved, when we the Lord sent us, um, when the Lord uh, moved us to, to the northeast, which I was just like, oh, God. You know, I was been on the east coast for a while, and I was just like, Lord, I'm listening to the words of Michael W. Smith, go west, young man, you know. Or Stephen Curtis Chapman, one of those guys, you know. That was my jam back in the day. Go west, young man, you know. It's like, yeah, I hear the word, Lord, California, woo, you know, and, and uh, you know, we ended up planning a school in Hawaii, and I tried to move there, and that's really west, you know, and we lived in Dallas for a while in Texas, and, you know, Texas is like, that's a whole nation, you know, and, uh, and I wanted to keep moving west, and the Lord really hijacked us with a, one prophetic dream, and we ended up in the northeast, and you know, had all my friends coming to me, and they're like, man, Sean, we're going to pray for you, buddy. The cold northeast, you know. The cold northeast, the church graveyard, you know. Was, man, I'm praying you can make it through the winters up there, you know. And these are like some of my friends. I'm like, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Um, and when we first moved up there, you know, it just kind of caught me off guard. I'm like, Lord, what are we doing here? This is so random, like. I would never think in a million years I'd be in Pennsylvania. Like, what a random state, you know. And, 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 and the Lord began to stir in us this dream and this heart to see university campuses touched again with the fire of revival. And, and I quickly realized that I was surrounded by three of the, of the largest university cities in America and actually in the entire world. And number one is actually Philadelphia. has the most college students of any, any other city in America. Number two is Boston, and number three is D.C. And so we, you know, two hours from Philly, two hours from D.C., and, you know, four and a half from Boston. We were surrounded, and not just that, the Lord began to speak to us specifically about the Ivy Leagues. You know, and specifically about how the first and second great awakenings and those wells of revival... Why that we are a Christian nation that we are today is because of the first and second great awakening that started on college campuses. That were not even college campuses, they were ministry schools. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, they were not intellectual epicenters. They were actually ministry training centers. That's why they were started. I mean, you go to any one of those campuses, you'll still see prophetic words etched in stone. You'll still see prayers etched on the sidewalk. I mean, that place is still, I mean, they can't get rid of it. It's all over the campus, you know, and it says, you know, there in, on Yale, you know, who is, who is man that you aren't mindful of him? Right there in the theology department, you know, side of the building, you know. And, but here we see that these campuses, you know, that, that the, these years of worship and prayer, and, and just so you know, like, um, you know, Harvard was started, and then, you know, they, they didn't, you know, guys thought that they were, they were getting a little too tame in their worship and a little too tame in their revival, so they started Yale, which was even more fiery, and then they started Princeton, and each one was started because they wanted to be more fiery. They wanted to send more missionaries. They wanted to do more ministry, and so today we see, obviously, the Ivy League schools are the epicenter of intellectualism, atheism, 
you know, people send their students around the world to be indoctrinated by humanism instead of be set on fire with revival, you know. So we moved up there, and, and, <laughs> and I'm like, God, send me to a third world nation, like, where people are hungry. Don't send me to the Ivy Leagues. Like, I don't want to be with smart people that want to debate, you know. I want to I wanna be with hungry Chinese in a hut somewhere, you know, and. And, uh, and the Lord just the Lord just began to speak to us out of this verse in Isaiah 54. And he just began to say, uh, you know, I want you to go and I want you to worship. Worship is going to break open the wells of revival in those schools. And at the time, you know, we were, you know, trying to connect with the, uh, with the student ministries on campus. But none of them liked each other. And there were just tons of division. And nobody wanted to come together. And it was just, it was just kind of rough. And so we just thought in that season, we thought, you know what? All right, I said, Lord, we're going to do something totally foolish. And we're just going to go for it. We're going to take one shot. We're going to go for it. And the Lord downloaded me this idea of, like, flash mob worship taking over the campus. An unorganized pandemonium of worship being released right as the school started, you know. And I thought, okay, this is dangerous. We'll probably get thrown in jail. It'll be really fun. And if we're going to do it, we might as well go down in a blaze of glory, you know. So I started looking around for, and this is a true story, and I wanted to share this with you because, you know, the Lord chooses the foolish things, you know. And, and throughout the Bible, you know, one of the greatest examples is Jehoshaphat. They're surrounded by an army, and what do they do, you know? Well, they do exactly what they're doing in Erbil right at this moment, you know. They're surrounded by ISIS military, and and it says that Jehoshaphat said, we're going to sing unto the Lord. We're going to declare the, be- the beauty of his splendor. In other words, we're not even going to focus on the enemy. We're just going to focus on, we are going to get blitzed out on the beauty of who he is. And then he's going to fight for us. Brilliant, right? Brilliant. It's what Paul and Silas did in prison. It's what guys have been doing throughout history, you know. And so the beauty or the breakthrough is in the beauty of who he is. So anyway, we say, okay, we're, we're going to do this. So I, I go looking for these, I go trying to find anybody that will loan us buses. And I'm saying, we're going to get buses, and we're going to fill these buses with the loudest, most rowdy, wild, zealous worshipers that we could find. We're going to chalk them full into these buses, and we're going to just stop on every one of these campuses and unload worship, right? And my wife thought I was crazy. Everyone thought I was crazy. We found a kids' camp in D.C. that had like 40 buses, but they only used once a year for a kids' camp. And they said, you can use as many of them as you can. Just got to find drivers for them. And by the way, they only go 45 miles an hour, you know, which, you know, you can imagine cruising on I-95 at 45 miles an hour. Oh, and this is the other thing I said. Oh, by the way, our kids' camp colors are Smurf blue, so all the buses are Smurf blue. I said, oh, gosh, there's no there's no blending in here. You know, it's like 45 miles an hour Smurf baby blue buses cruising up I-95. So so we say, OK, we're going to do this. We put the word out around the world. And I knew that there would be some that would that would jump. Someone think it was crazy. But we actually had an overwhelming response. So we started to fill these buses and uh, we needed a name. So I just decided, OK, we're going to call this. The God is not dead to her. 
So we put the God is not dead tour and the buses flamed. You know, we have guitars hanging out the side and we're like, we're going to go for it. So the first place that we stopped was in New Haven, Connecticut on Yale University. And if you know anything about Yale, it's actually built on the shape of the actual tabernacle. Like the Old Testament tabernacle is the campus of Yale University. If you look on Google Earth, you'll see an inner court, an outer court, and a holy of holies on the campus. That's how it's established, you know. And so we go, we're going straight for the holy of holies, you know. This is where George Whitfield preached. This is where John Wesley preached. This is where revival was ignited. We're going for it, you know. So we pull up to Yale University, first week of school. So, you know, students are still kind of getting used to it. They're bringing their, you know, their, their smarty kids. They're bringing their books into their, you know, into their, into their dorm rooms. And they're kind of getting settled. And they're kind of getting adjusted. And, and we just go, oh, we're just going to hijack this place, you know. And we get our guys all revved up. And, and this is the one thing we told them. We said, go out on the campus, walk wherever people are, and just start releasing the beauty of who Jesus is. Let's just try it, you know. If people think we're stupid, then people think we're stupid. And if God shows up, then it'll be awesome, you know. So we send them out. And I'll never forget, guys. I'll never forget, you know. When I was walking a year before this, right when I moved to Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm going to tell you a few testimonies from that trip in a minute. But I was walking on that campus and I was looking at these prophetic words and I was Reading up, reading up where these revivals happened and where these students were cramming into these buildings and praying all night long and where the Holy Spirit was landing on them and they were speaking in tongues and getting filled with visions and dreams from nations around the world, you know. And I remember walking on and I was thinking, God, this place is barren. What once used to be is not here. It's barren. There's no life here. I feel oppression. I feel depression. I feel hopelessness. I feel humanism. I feel pride. I feel arrogance. Like, where are you, God? Why did you send me up here to die, you know? And I'll never forget, I walked across from the, um, the theology department. And I crossed the street. And there's a graveyard across the street. It's the Yale Cemetery. I thought, well, it's a pretty depressing day. Might as well end it in the cemetery, you know. And I was actually hoping I would find some epic missionary that I could just get an impartation from before I went, you know. Because I love that. I love going to, like, where these guys were buried, you know. And I'm just like, God, if you did it, you know, with the bones of, uh, of Elijah, Elisha, then, you know, you'll give me something. And so everywhere I go when someone like that, you know, is, I'm like, God, give me, give me a portion of what they had. And so I was crossing the street and I was literally walking into the cemetery and I felt the spirit of the Lord say, look up. And I looked up and etched in stone. I mean, it is a, it's probably the, the size of the ceiling. This massive stone archway into the cemetery says this, the dead shall be raised. Still says that today. You can look it up, Yale Cemetery. And I actually, um, this album right here, um, called Rebirth and Reclamation was, was, was ignited in my heart in that season. And actually on the back of this of CD, you can see the archway where I put a little picture of it. Um, and, and it comes out of Isaiah 54. And I just want to read this over the campus um, here, over your hearts, over, over UVA, over Virginia, over what the Lord's doing across the East Coast in this region. And it says this, Isaiah 54, 1. 
Sing, O barren woman. I mean, that's just like a sermon right there. Like you could just stop there. There's your theology. You feel barren? Sing. You feel like you're in a season of unfulfilled dreams and hopes? Sing. In other words, you never have an excuse not to worship. Your circumstances never dictate your song. And a lot of times, like, and I'll share this as a worship leader, worship is actually not about feelings. I mean, I love, oh, I love feelings. Don't get me wrong. Ooh, I love, oh, I'm like a feeler, big time, you know. I want to feel glory right from the first chord. I'm like, God, show me. Whoa, you know, I want to feel it. I want to get the goosebumps. I want to, you know, I want to see stuff. I want to, like, I want to feel, you know, and I think we all are like that. We all want to feel, you know. But the thing about worship is it's never based on feelings. Because feelings are just like this, you know. It's always based on a choice that he's worthy. You know, at the end of the day, you know, and I'll be honest, sometimes as a worship leader, I'm like, I am just not feeling it, man. I mean, people could be exploding all around me. And in fact, one of these nights we were in Brazil. I was telling you guys I went there. There's probably... 4,000 raving Brazilians, like just going crazy in this meeting, and they wouldn't stop singing. And I'm sitting here, and I'm leading worship for like three hours, and I am so hungry. And I'm just up there going, I want Brazilian steak. I want Brazilian steak. And I'm like, concentrate, focus, and like all the feeling left me. And I was just like, Brazilian steak, Lord, let it appear, you know. Um, And, uh, but it's not about feeling and this is what's so powerful guys even about as you as you focus in and you zero in not even just on you know the six hours the eight hours the 24 hours my prayers that it would not stop in richmond but but i'm talking about the song of your life the worship of your life it's never based on circumstances it's never based on feelings it's always based on the worth of jesus and guess what that never changes good news his stock is always going up Good news. He's always getting more beautiful. He's always expanding of the increase of his kingdom. There shall be no end. The revelation of his beauty is growing across the earth, you know, and and your worship is based on that. And so that's why when you get into seasons of barrenness, you don't have to stop. You know, if the enemy can steal your song, he's got you. And some of you guys need to pick up your harp off the willow tree and start. Sing, O barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. Now it's just getting crazy. Now it's just like, now it's just getting, it's, it's getting a little out of hand here. It's like, no, no, I just don't want you to sing your barren, you know, sing the song. Burst into song, shout for joy in the state of barrenness. In your current state. Burst into joy. As if you were experiencing the breakthrough you long for, that's how you worship, you know. You who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate than of her who has a husband. Then it says in verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. And your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Now, I don't have time to unpack all this tonight. But the main point of this is that 
as the song is released, even in places, in seasons, in regions, in campuses where barrenness is the reality, you're anchored and positioned in a greater reality, and you sing from that reality, and you release that reality, and that's what, that's what prophetic worship is. <laughs> that's what it is. It's prophesying in a realm that you don't see in the natural. Sing, O barren woman, you know, and then after it says sing, burst in jo- so- shout for joy, burst into song, it says get ready. Extend your tent pegs. Stretch them out. In other words, upon the faithfulness and the persistence of your song, I will release an abundant harvest. Stretch your tent pegs. It's like get ready to receive. Is there room to receive? You know, it says, for you will spread out to the right. You will spread out. There will be a supernatural expansion. And man, I could share with you a hundred cities that have seen this reality. One of my favorite examples is in, is, is in Turkey. You know, 77 million Muslims, less than 2,000 believers. For eight years, we've been doing burns in Turkey. Indigenous Turks, getting them together, teaching them on worship. Teaching them, you know, that they can release their own song. It doesn't need to be hill song, you know. They can release a Turkish, wild, crazy, you know, song of the Lord. Getting them together, you know, less than 2,000 Christian Turkish believers in a nation of 77 million. You know, getting them together, the three, the four, the five, getting them together. And then every year, you know, going 100 hours over Ramadan, which they just finished. This was the eighth year in a row. Eighth year in a row, 100 hours over Ramadan. They had over, oh, I think, five, over 500 Turkish believers, which represents... Close to 20% of the Christian population of the whole nation was at their 100-hour worship and prayer set. And because of it, and the faithfulness and the persistence, which has been not always beautiful, not always glory dust and feathers, and you know, not always, I mean, it's been tough. There's been a couple sets where you walk in, you're like, oh, God, you know, help us, you know. But you press on and you persevere, and from that we've seen... Hundreds of Turks come to Jesus. We've seen the revelation of the beauty of Jesus. We've been invited into mosques to go and bring the sound of worship. You know, I mean, we've had we've seen churches, indigenous uh, Turkish churches planted. And listen, this was a nation that missionaries just they put their hands up. They said, "We've done all we can do. We've translated the text. We've given out tracts. We've tried, and we just can't, can't, we can't fight it. We can't, we can't crack Turkey." You know, and. This, the, the, you know, the, the saying is to be a Turk is to be a Muslim, is their national saying. But through the persistence and the dedication of building a point for Jesus, he shows up. He releases his presence. He releases his glory. And sing, O barren woman. And so getting back to the story on the campus of Yale. So we trained them all up, you know. And we just, one of my favorite things, I just love and. You know, I was so bombarded by this ISIS thing, you know, a couple weeks ago. And we, we did our first worship and prayer school, uh, Hillside Worship School, which we're doing another one um, this summer in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. would love to have any of you guys come and join us. We did our first one in London, and I, I was flying on the plane over there, and I just 
you know, seen the first accidentally, can you believe it, clicked on the first video of James Foley, you know, and the beheading that happened. And it was a British-born London, you know, dude, you know, that was, he was a Brit, you know, and uh, he had a British accent and he, he was a European. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't raised in the Middle East. And, and I was so, I was on the plane, you know, flying over there. I was so, it was just seething with righteous anger. I'm like, wow, the UK was a place where the broadcasting of the gospel was spread all over the earth. The greatest revivalists in history, most of them came out of the UK. I mean, if the UK didn't experience revival, we wouldn't even be here talking right now, you know. And I was flying over there, and and I was just like, God, what is the answer to rid the land of this demonic, vile spirit? You know, I'm talking about the spirit, not the people. You guys with me? Talking about the spirit that controls the people, you know. We love the people. We want to destroy the spirit, right? So anyway, and I'm over there, and we're we're driving on the M25 around London to, to meet with our first worship school students, and... I walked into the, my plane was late, and I was only there for the last day of the worship school. And I walked in, and I saw all these Europeans who were waiting for the last session. And I just was looking at their eyes. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, John, look at their eyes. Look at the brightness of their eyes. Look at the hope of their hearts. They actually believe in this stuff. And I just started sobbing, you know, and the Lord just started speaking to me. The bright-eyed optimism of this coming worshiping generation is going to overthrow every wickedness. It's going to remove every spirit of heaviness across the nations, you know, because they just believe. And so I went on that bus in Yale University. I looked at all these bright-eyed worshipers, you know, that their dream is to stay up all night, drink coffee, and worship Jesus. Right. That's like their dream. You know, I mean, at some point, obviously, they'll have to get a real job and have to get, a, you know, all that stuff. But this is their dream, you know, and they're just so full of zeal, you know, not a lot of wisdom, not a lot of depth. That's OK. That comes with time. This is why we need a multi-generational movement where we have the depth and the wisdom and the longevity of the old generation. We have the zeal and the urgency and the passion of the younger when they come together, they're beautiful. Separated, they're both dysfunctional. You guys with me? Very dysfunctional, separated, very beautiful together. So I'm looking at them, and they're just like, we're going to go for it. We're going to go on the campus of Yale, you know. And most of them, like, they, they're not in, you know, they're, it's kind of the crew that's in between high school and college. So it's like they don't even know enough to debate anyone, you know. They just want to go play their guitars, you know. So, like, they're just hungry for Jesus, you know. And, and so they, we open the, the doors to the bus, and it's just like, just like a horse race, you know. They're just off, and they're running across the campus with their guitars and their djembes. And, and my favorite thing was I was, just, I was just walking around the campus just taking it all in, you know. And I'm just like, this is so foolish. This looks so ridiculous. And what's funny about the whole thing is that MTV had this producer from MTV at the time just hounding me, hounding me to do this documentary, you know. And I'm like, how do you even know my number? We're just this grassroots, young, you know, worshiping people. We don't even, like, we barely even have a MySpace page. This was back in MySpace glory days, you know. 
Like, nobody even knows about us. And, and, and the producer, which is a, a very hot MTV producer that had produced tons of hit shows, said, oh, we know about you. Kind of scary. I said, how? She said, well, it's my job to find out what's causing a generation to be hungry. What are they hungry for? And I said, really? And I said, she said, well, for the last three years, we've done, we've done, um, sub, we've done a poll for all of our subscribers across MTV where we've polled, um, you know, high schoolers, college students. We've said, what is the number one thing that you want to know more about in the coming season? You know, is it scandals? Is it, you know, the real world at the time? Is it, a, you know, this celebrity or what is it? Overwhelmingly, for the last three years in a row, they've all answered, we want to know more about God. And she said, I want to know why young people are gathering all night long to pray. What is happening, you know? And, the, and it was just like, she was just totally undone by this idea that a generation would not go to clubs or bars or go do whatever kids do, but that they would consecrate themselves and stay up all night and worship Jesus. As these kids went on the campus, I'll end here and then I want to share one more verse. Um, my favorite group of students were the ones that went in front of the cafeteria. They were probably our brightest crew, you know, because they knew it was about lunchtime. Everyone was going to come into the cafeteria and come out. So they were like, we're going to get the most collateral damage we can get, you know. So they brought their guitars, they brought their djembes, and they're just sitting there in front of the main door of the cafeteria at Yale, and they're just going for it, worshiping Jesus, and just getting blasted by the beauty of God, and just going for it. And these students are kind of walking by and looking. And, and, and after about, you know, 20, 30 minutes of this, they, they have students around them. And not just students around them, they have a couple students that are prostrate around them. So I'm like, how did this happen? You know, it's like I went and checked on another group, then I came back, and then it's like prostrate students all around them. So I watched this one kid going into the to the lunch line, going into the cafeteria, and he's carrying all his books, and he walks just in the kind of close to the atmosphere that worship, and he just goes, whoa, like that, and he just goes down to his knees, and all of a sudden. They're worshiping, and they're taking the atmosphere over the front of the cafeteria at Yale University. Now, I don't have a long time to go into more of the story, but at the end of the day, this professor came by. She was like, this is a, this is a mystical experience, you know. She's like, wow, you know, and she was some, you know, some, like, you know, professor that was in charge of, you know, studying the cosmos and, like, bringing down, you know, crazy stuff. And she's like, come to my class and release your mystical experience, you know. And they got, I mean, these kids got invited in. They, these are like, you know, I don't, one of these kids that didn't even have his GED, you know, and they're getting invited in to, to Yale theological seminars to release a mystical experience, you know. And, you know, then we went to Harvard, then we went to Princeton, and all, the whole way, guys, we saw the reality of this country. We, we realized that as we sung to the barrenness, as we sung over the barrenness, we saw the Lord stretch out His presence, stretch out His goodness, stretch out His glory. And I'm, I'm proud to tell you today, after living here, you know, almost four years in Pennsylvania, we now have a presence on every major Ivy League university in the Northeast. 
We've done open air, you know, worship things at, 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 at uh, Princeton. We've done open air worship things at Harvard. We've gotten kicked out of a lot of the campuses and then invited back, you know. And, and my heart really is to share with you, not only is no place too hard and too dark, but God, it's revival or bust with these universities. I mean, we have an entire generation, and, and you guys live here in Richmond, and obviously not all of you here are engaged in the university, but you're in a university town. You know, God has positioned you for such a time as this strategically here. And there's a multi-generational anointing that the Lord is bringing on this worship and prayer movement that's going to carry wisdom, it's going to carry grace, it's going to carry authority, and it's going to carry zeal and fire. And I, I want to read one more verse to you guys, and my prayer, and, you know, if I had more time, I'll just, you know, this book right here actually is going to share this testimony, but it starts the beginning of this book, if you want to know more of our DNA. The, the beginning of this book is actually in uh, in, in northern Iraq, and uh, it's actually a, a region that ISIS has now taken over, and they've driven the Kurdish people out and done mass executions. But the church in that region is thriving, and we were invited in. At the beginning of this book, it talks about we were invited into Saddam Hussein's former palace to do a healing music concert for hundreds of unreached Muslims. We were invited in by Muslim governors who knew that we were Christians, who knew what our heart was, you know. And it just gives you a further testimony about how this is the season where we literally have an all-access pass. All-access pass. No place is too hard. No place is too dark. And if we really believe, you know, the words of Jesus, the kingdom, the kingdoms of the earth will become the kingdoms of our Lord. We get to be alive at a time in history where God's doing it. And I, I just feel um, in my heart really as, as, you know, you guys begin to launch into, um, into this amazing season. And, and my prayer is that you know, me coming here and sharing some of this would just add fuel to the fire that's already burning. You know, we, you know, we really don't care who gets the credit. We really don't care what name it has or what titles it has. We just want the glory of God known across this land. We want the favor of the Lord known. You know, I want, I want there to be such a residue of God's presence that even when you guys aren't praying, students are walking by here in the middle of the night catching downloads from Jesus. You know, and we've seen it, and he's, he's still doing it. He's still doing it in this season. Um, let me read one more verse. Turn, um, turn with me to Ephesians. I'm going to end here. Anybody stirred up? I want to mention, too, I, I just really had this on my heart. I want, um, this is this project called and Reclamation I did years ago, all of these songs are like awakening songs. They're like hope songs. They're calling the dead things back to life. And um, I had, you know, some friends of mine uh, from, from Bethel, Jen Johnson's on here, and Leonard Jones, who's a father in worship movement. I want each of you guys, I want to give you each a copy of this tonight before you leave. And I just felt like the Lord wanted me to do that just to sow in this sound into this city and really into your homes. And I pray that some of these songs, you know, that you, would, that, that you would play this in your car and you would just begin to sing these songs of life and awakening. So 
Anyway, I think I brought enough. They're in the back, and while you're at it, you can pick up some other stuff. This is a brand-new project I finished called Messengers. Um, if you want to know more about the burn, this is called Incense Rise. And um, this is basically 50 hours of worship um, and prayer that we we had friends from IHOP and Morningstar and Bethel and the burn movement. We, we just basically hit record for 50 hours, and we took the best 60 minutes of that and put it on this. So... I tell people, be careful while you're driving and listening to this, like driving under the influence. It's a pretty amazing CD. And then I brought this one, which is a new one, too, called Sacred Mountain. Uh, I'm kind of relaunching it. I did this with some of my friends from United Pursuit. It's all like kind of, uh, it's, it's basically like, like intercession and prayer music. It's, there's no words, and it's all just swirly melodies, and it's just like, oh, it's good stuff. So... Anyway, that, that'll be back there as well. But um, let's read this verse here out of Ephesians. And, you know, we're, we are so committed to you guys. We're going to send, we're going to actually send down um, uh, a crew, you know, when you do your first burn. And we're just going to, or when you, I mean, you've been doing burns. But when you do one in November, we're going to rally people from across the state. And we really believe you know, Richmond, we really want to see Richmond, the, the glory of God, break into this city, break into this campus. Um, and, you know, it's, it's amazing how, how, you know, the Lord uses, he uses just weak, feeble prayers and songs to build his kingdom. And I don't know why. It's kind of like, sometimes I want to tell people like, we don't make this stuff up. You know, it's, it's kind of like, well, you're just kind of like a musician guy. You just probably want to hang out and just play music a lot. No, no, no. We don't make this up. It's not like this is, this is not a good idea. This is not like an, a new fad. This is like how God governs his kingdom. This is like period. Like whenever you look in Revelation and a decree is being made of government over the planet, over the cosmos, over heaven, there's a, there's a harp. There's a song. There's worship. I mean, this isn't stuff that we make up in our own good ideas. This is how God governs humanity. It's through prayer, intercession, and worship. And so, you know, we kind of look at that and we go, wow, God, that's, that's wild. You got creatures with eyes everywhere and you got like a lot of wings and you got like angels probably singing in perfect pitch. And I mean, you got like a lot going on. And in our heart, we, we go, man, that looks awesome. We're going to try it here. I mean, we, we do what you tell us to do, and so we're going to do it. Your kingdom come, your will be done, Matthew 5, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God, we want this place to look like that place. And so we're just going to model what you do up there. It's probably not going to be quite as cool. <laughs> we don't have creatures with eyes everywhere. We're probably not going to be in perfect pitch. But we're going to go for it. And there's something in the heart of God. And this is why I believe David was the only man called, called, called man after God's own heart. Because he saw, he had a revelation of how God governs and sustains all of life. And he thought, man, God, you're right. I'm going to break every Old Testament rule that's been written in his book. Can you imagine the audacity of that? David, you can't create a place of nonstop worship where people can enjoy God. That's once a year for the 
you know, the dude that goes into the Holy of Holies and probably dies because he's had sin. Here David says, no, I'm just breaking all the rules. We're just going to worship and we're not going to stop. We're going to do what I did on the inside. God loves us, and he still loves us. And he loves communities and people that go for it. Even if you feel like you don't have a lot to give, you know, you take your weak, frail offering and you watch God breathe life into it. We're not in this thing. And I, you know, it's, it's funny. I was with uh, last year, I, every year I try to get a couple hours with the legend himself, Mike Bickle. And I spent some time with him and, you know, he just, he's like, He's like, the burn. We love the burn. You know, he's just like, he's just awesome, you know. But he's like, Sean, he's like, you know, he's like, you guys like love the flash. You love like the bam. You love like the moment, the climax, the, you know. And I'm like, yeah, we do. You know, we're, we are that generation. We, we love to make it wild and loud and crazy. And then he goes, you know, but the Lord, what moves him is faithfulness. What moves him is steadfast. Is year after year, hour after hour, set after set. You know, and some of my most courageous leaders, you know, are guys that are in, ur- in the urban sprawl in Tokyo where there's 0.02% Christians. And like every month, we're going to gather our seven known Japanese believers. We're going to lift up the name of Jesus. Even if we don't feel like it, even if we're tired, even if, even if it's not getting bigger, even if it's getting smaller, we are going to, you know. It's like, and it's funny, you know, Jesus has a great way of, like, decreasing the crowd to bring forth the remnant. You know. He's not insecure. Numbers don't, in, you know, make him scary, you know. In this verse here in Ephesians, I want to read this over you guys and, Oh, yeah, where am I at? Just any, any verse in Ephesians. No. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 15. And, um, you know, as much as I can preach on the tabernacle of David and even the burn from the Old Testament, I've actually almost exclusively started preaching it from the New Testament because there's so much revelation of this lifestyle of day-night worship. You know, not only is God restoring the the physical place of day and night worship, but he's restoring the heart of day and night worship. You know, where we start to view our lives not as sacred and secular. And this is one of the things I love about my wife. I brag on her all the time. You know, we have three kids. We're pretty pretty overwhelmed. There's a lot of diapers. There's a lot of crying. There's a lot of, you know, fits. There's a lot of glory. Um, there's a lot of door the Explorer. You know, there's a, there's a there was a lot of frozen. Thank God we're past that season. Thank you, God, deliverance. But, but one of the things I often catch my wife doing, you know, I just catch her sometimes in the kitchen doing dishes or I catch her changing a diaper and I'll just walk by the room and she'll just be singing. You know, she'll just be like engaging the presence of the Lord. She'll just be creating a habitation of his nearness. Not like a religious way. She doesn't even know I'm there. But it's just like, it's, it's the lifestyle of building an altar. Like, you are the restoration of the tabernacle of David. You're the living, breathing, walking, 
Starbucks ordering, you know, you're the tabernacle, you are, you're it, you know. This verse here in Ephesians 5, verse, verse 15 says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So it says, it's giving us first, you know, be careful, be wise. This is a season where you need to be wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Do not be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is, you know. And and we're like, okay, how do we do it? You know, how do we do this? How do we stay wise? How do we make the most of every opportunity? How do we understand His will? And it says in verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. But instead, or that word instead, if, if you look in the text, it could, be, it could be or in the same manner or in the likeness as those that get drunk on wine. It says, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I love that. It gives us the dimension of the horizontal song and the vertical song. The songs, hymns, and spiritual songs sing to one another and prophesy over one another. Prophesy over the campus. Sing it over your workplace. Sing it over your family. Be a people that knows how to take the sound of worship and release it horizontally, but at the same time, sing it to the Lord. We have this, these two dimensions of prophetic worship that are both necessary and important. One that goes vertical up to the heart of the Lord and one that pierces the hearts of people around us. And this is our life and this is what we're called to do. So this is what we're going to do. I want everyone to stand up. We don't need any musicians because we are musicians. Look at someone and say, I am a musician. You know, it says this, it says, make a joyful noise, not sing in perfect pitch.